0: Welcome to Trauma Queen, where we normalize talking about some pretty hard shit. I'm Jaminika Eborn, your certified trauma queen. I've been working with survivors of assault for over a decade. This season, we will be talking about sexual education. We will discuss how we deal with stressors that come up around our work, societal, personal traumas, and growth. What we've learned and how we have to navigate through our daily lives. And like always, the focus will be on our journey to healing and finding support. In each episode, I'll give three new resources directly related to the topics we cover. For years, I've seen survivors portrayed without their voices ever being really heard. This changes now. Let's heal together. Hey y'all, this is a quick content warning to let you know that we may be discussing some pretty hard things, or we may even bring up some pretty intense emotions. If this is affecting you, take a breath, take a walk, skip an episode, It's okay. Do whatever you need to do for you. We will be here whenever you're ready to come back. Support for this podcast is made possible by our sponsor, BetterHelp, and people just like you. If you'd like to contribute to supporting this work, you can do so by clicking the link in the podcast description. You can donate as little as 99 cents per month to keep us going strong. Every penny you send goes right back into making this resource accessible to the people who need it most. And if you want to show off your love for the show, check out our merch on www.traumaqueen.love. That's www.traumaqueen.love. I am so excited to have this magical human. Speaking with me today, this individual actually gave me my first college speaking engagement, and so, (laughs) um, and so I am so thankful to just have this individual and share some of their wisdom with us all. Can you tell us your name and your pronouns?
1: Uh, Yes, my name is Erica Hart, and my pronouns are she and they.
0: Yes, yes, thank you. So, I always ask people the same question, no matter what we're talking about. So why do you think your story or perspective needs to be heard? Hmm.
1: Huh. I think my story and perspective needs to be heard because it is so many other people's story and perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think it just needs to be echoed in the world um, to affirm those who don't feel affirmed in their story. Um, I think as black queer folks, we, black queer and non-binary femme folks, we feel like we're the only one a lot of times in our spaces, even if it is a queer space, even if it is an all black space. So I think yeah. it's important to talk about, to share like who I am very openly. One, cause I'm a Sagittarius, but also two <laughs> to like <laughs> to so other people feel seen. Um, who identify in similar ways. Cause when I was a young black queer kid, I didn't have those examples. So that's the biggest part for
0: me. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you threw out your, your Zodiac sign. Uh, tell yes. Ebony that I understand because I'm also a Gemini. Oh dear God. <laughs> I get it. I be hearing the little, I seen it. Uh, so, so this season we're talking about the trauma of sex ed within sex ed, what does being a sex educator mean to you?
1: Oh, being a what's us being a sex educator means to me is is a a tremendous opportunity to make a difference in someone's life in an area where people are oftentimes afraid to talk about, mm-hmm. um, or don't or resist talking about it at all, or think it's it's bad to talk about. Um, so that's, that's, the, that's the opportunity I see um, yeah. in being a sex educator is that people's a- questions get answered yeah. that maybe wouldn't or they would get the wrong answer because there's so much crap out there telling you how you're supposed to be or should be or could be rather than just you know letting people explore themselves for themselves.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I love that aspect of it. And it's so interesting because everyone has such a different perspective of what a sex educator is to them. Mm. And so I love having so many different people answering that question because it's going to come up differently for everyone. And also people are going to hear it differently. And people think we do so many other things that we don't.
1: Right. Right. All the time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) When did you start to kind of realize how important sex ed was? Was it once you became an educator or was it the reason you became an educator? It
1: was the reason I became an educator. I didn't even know. I think there has to be some conversation around, I guess, the Internet. But before the Internet, I didn't necessarily have I didn't have access to the idea that there was such a thing called a sex educator. Right. So I was, you know, I went to an abstinence only school. Uh, all of my friends were having sex. They were all asking me for advice about sex. So uh, that didn't go well. Right. And I was, like, <laughs> I was like, okay. And I was the only one in their lives that was open to having the conversation. I remember very vividly um, being on the phone on three-way. Well, my friend was getting screamed at by her mom because she wanted to go on birth control and I had to find the language to be like it's actually not a problem that she wants to go on birth control um she should do it because you know this is her body and it's a choice and maybe she doesn't want to have babies right now and this is an opportunity to you know just have sex, use condoms and not have a child because that's not what you want. And it was like a 13-year-old me had literally had no back, no understanding of this was just like it just makes sense. That's <laughs> just that
0: common sense. Just, just common that simple, sense. Common
1: but sense. But none of my my other friends were like I was the person who they came to um about sex and I I mean in retrospect it is like on some mammy type shit because nobody (laughs) was really trying to fuck me either. So it was that I was the person that people came to for advice. I was their sex advice, but never the person that was sought after to fuck. Mm. Um, So that's just my own knowledge after. So I really came into it as like, this is necessary. My friend in high school said to me like, do you know who Dr. Ruth is? And I was like, no. Like, I had no idea who that was. And I, I was living in Puerto Rico at the time, too. So I didn't know how she knew. But she was like, it's just this old white lady who talks about sex. I feel like you should do that, too. And I was like, oh, shit. And then this, when I started looking that up, that opened a whole world for me. That was yeah. like, wow, the internet is beyond a chat room, too. Cause for me, the internet was just chat rooms and cyber sex. But then when I discovered (laughs) Dr. Ruth, it was like, Oh, I can look up careers and I can, you know, maybe do sex ed. And these people are doing sex ed too. And Oh, here's this program where I could do grad school potentially. So that really opened up a whole world for me.
0: I love that you said, I, when I found out it was more than just chat rooms. Yeah, I I get it. I was in there talking to probably two. Too many people that were older than me and I shouldn't have been done. Same, same. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that you have like a specific focus in sex ed? And if so, what is it?
1: Um, I feel like it's been I think it's I guess it's important to have a specific focus, but I've been trained across the spectrum. But Mm -hmm. I'd say my specific focus is in gender, race, and ability. Um, so like racial and social justice within sex ed. Um, having it, making it so that it's imperative that it's there. Um, I know that when I was in my grad school program, they never talked about race. I was in a history and ethics class and the professor talked about Africa once and was like, well, it was all, um, uh, you know, a spoken history. So we don't have any written history about How sex worked in Africa. And it's just like, that's not true. And then quickly pivoted to Europe. And it was like, nah, this is ridiculous. And then consistently across the board in my graduate program, that was a huge missing that there was no conversations about race or class. Um, or ability until we got to a sex and disability class, or mm. maybe it was a sex and minority class, and that's when we're going to talk about black people. But it's like, nah, we have to talk about the intersection of race all the time. We have to talk about the intersection of class all the time when we're talking about sex ed. Um, so I think that is my focus, if you will. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, for, I guess I could also say that my focus is young people. I love to work with young people and uh, elementary school students to high school to, and now grad school is mostly, no shade, no tea to the older folks who go to grad school, but most of grad school, for my experience, has been a lot of young people.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I, I really like working with the youth. One, because I love to see that little spark in their eye when they get it. Yes. And they're not afraid to like really ask the questions. Yeah. And then they're like, "Okay, so you said this? Oh, I'll process it." Versus trying to fight you for everything.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I also like the excitement. Adults don't give you the same excitement. When I say penis, I'm a whole room is uproar and laughter with a young person. But with adults, they're like, "Yeah, okay, sure." <laughs> yeah.
0: They're like, "Yeah, penis. What else are we talking about? You're right? Like, well, never mind then." <laughs> um. So w- let's talk about the fun part now. So, what do you see as a problem, or what are the problems within sex ed right now? Oh, my God,
1: Wait, how much time you got? I got time. <laughs> um, huh? I think the problem, and I don't, I don't say this. I think as sex educators, we dance. No, I'm just going to say this.
0: Say it. I'm here.
1: I feel like sex educator is a very easy identity to kind of slap on. It's a very easy uh, career that people could have because there is no mandate of this is what you have to do to become a sex educator. All you have to for the... People who are not sex educators or people who don't talk about sex or don't go follow this career is someone that likes to talk about sex. So I think about someone like Lacey Green, right? And mm-hmm. Lacey Green was so popular. And I always was so confused why is she so popular? Why do people like her so much, you know? And all she had in her background was like, she took a sex ed class in college or something, she said. Or she had some sort of um, obscure degree, but no one really knew what it was. And then, sure enough, she started being transphobic. She started being racist. She started being sexist. Lots of different things. A biological essentialist. All of this shit came out and I was so frustrated because I was like, Why did anybody believe what she was saying in the first place? And I find that that's a big issue in the sex ed world. Mm -hmm. And it happens institutionally. A lot of the, even the programs that I worked for that I got to go through and call myself a sex educator, didn't train me to actually deal with my own internalized anti blackness or the anti blackness within already embedded in the curriculum um so I had to do that work but I cannot imagine the other people doing that work or not does that make sense
0: it makes total sense yeah
1: so I get weary of folks when they're like I'm a sex educator and I don't know their their pedagogy I don't know their background I don't know what works they study I don't know who informs their work all I know is that they like to say penis and vulva and they're not afraid of that Um, and I find that people are getting hired just on those things. The fact that they may know where babies come from or how ovulation works, or they care a lot about abortion and birth control. But I don't get a intersectional pedagogy Mm -hmm. breakdown that's anti, that's anti racist. That's, you know, anti capitalist. That's not elitist. I don't see that. Um, so I get weary about that. I guess I also get weary in the sex ed world, just very like small community is people stealing people's shit. Okay. (laughs) And I see that a lot where people will do keynotes and they'll say, oh, I know that I have white privilege or I know that I have white passing privilege and I'm still up here taking the money for the keynote on the backs of all the people who have created all of this work for me Mm -hmm. to even get up here and say this. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like not folks stepping aside. They're standing on stages announcing their privilege while also using all of the work that black and brown people have been saying forever. Mm -hmm. Like I know that when I was in grad school at my graduation, I'll never forget so many people came up to me, white folks primarily, and were like, you know, I owe you money for my degree because of all that you shared in my classrooms. And those wow. same people will be the ones who do keynotes talking about black people. <laughs> and they won't they won't be the ones that are like, "Hey, Erica could you do this keynote?" right? Or, mm-hmm. you know, anybody anybody else could speak or be put in that put on a panel or wherever to collect that coin. Because it's our labor that you're using to kind of to put, position yourself as some sort of like good white person or good sex educator or intersectional sex educator, while never considering that that's someone else's work. Um, and this is for non-black people of color as well, is that you're stating your privilege, but you're not actually putting people who do this work all the time in the position to be the person that's speaking about it it's again, you speaking about experiences that are not your own. So it's like, I'm tired of the stealing period. Like, and the folks who are doing the stealing look very similar to who has done the stealing historically forever.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you think like with everything, I mean, the the interwebs, Mm -hmm. I have, I have to instantly sometimes just turn it off Mm -hmm. when I see something. Do you think you've had to personally take a stand for I mean I know you have but mm-hmm. maybe you could talk on it. Mm-hmm. Have you had to take a stand for yourself within the sex ed world?
1: Um yeah, I am trying to think of where specifically. Sometimes my chemo brain gets my memory.
0: Yeah, um, I mean it. and
1: also trauma, trauma queen, trauma will just, you know.
0: Listen, I had a trauma re-traumatization this week. Yeah. I'm still spinning.
1: <laughs> Like, I don't really know. Like, I feel like more recently I've had to turn down things mm-hmm. where they like, you know, sex educators, we love these conferences. So we create conferences <laughs> and then I'm we on hiatus. Right. You gotta take a break. Like, we create these conferences and there'll be people who are speaking at the conference who have done shitty stuff, mm-hmm. have not atoned for doing that shitty stuff. But you also want me to speak at that conference. And I know why people want me to speak at conferences. They want me to speak because of my social capital a lot of the time. And then what I have to say second. Because I've always been saying, I've been saying the same shit before social capital ever came. And I was not getting invited to as many conferences as I am today. So I have had to tell people, I'm not going to go to your conference. (laughs) Like colleagues of mine, because of who they also had on the bill. Because within our small community, we have to check the folks who are using sex education to be abusive, who Mm -hmm. are using sex education to sexually assault people, who are using it as some sort of blanket to not to be racist, right? So it's like, I am not, I cannot support that. I cannot be around that shit because it's just too small of a community, and it's too many people doing that, and I think that there has to be consequence for for the spaces that just keep having those same people come and speak.
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's to get been, that attention, get yeah. that ticket. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that there's like, like for me, I think me fully ask the question: Do you find that there's specific buzzwords that are real cute right now in sex life? Like for me, I'm like when people are like, "Well, I'm intersectional," and I'm like, "Okay."
1: Right. What What does that mean? What else does that
0: mean? Like, do you, what other words are you hearing that you're like, what now?
1: (laughs) Right. I would say sex positivity has been a buzzword for a long time. That's like, what, what does that mean? Um, Mm -hmm. intersectional is absolutely a big one, but I also think intersectional is being replaced with white supremacy (laughs) where I'm like, explain that a little more uh where people are just like oh you know i want to dismantle white supremacy i don't even know if they say dismantle but they're like does this have is this is white supremacy or this is white supremacy and this is problematic both of these words the same at the same time problematic always that's problematic this is problematic what the hell does problematic mean right and who is delivering the information and who gets to say what is problematic that's the first one problematic is something that said far too often in our spaces. White supremacy mm-hmm. is another one where I'm like, do y'all know what white supremacy is? Or are you just saying it and there's no like eradication of it? You're just saying it to be saying it, right? Or is it? it or is this really what's happening right now? It probably is, but it feels like it's, it's another filler word like intersectionality has become. Mm-hmm. Intersectionality centers black fems. So if you're not talking about black women and black women, black trans women, you're not talking about intersectionality. (laughs)
0: Like, let's just
1: bring it back to the source of what Kimberly Crenshaw said. Like, it is not this like intersecting of identities, it's the intersection of oppression. And she used black women at the source of that to really make that blatantly clear. So if you aren't at the very least thinking about Black films. When you're talking about intersectionality, I just don't know what you're saying. And if you aren't, if you aren't thinking about white supremacy on a systemic level, then I don't know what you're talking. If you're talking about abortion and you're not talking about white supremacy, I don't know. I don't understand. If you're not talking, if you're talking about birth control and you're not talking about how white supremacy has played a major hand in the creation of birth control, I don't know what we're talking about.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that makes sense to me. And mm. I feel like it's, it's so crazy. And again, I think the internet plays such a role in everything around us. Mm-hmm. Like, people will say something, they're like, ooh. And then a thousand people will like it, but not know what they're actually liking. Why? It, it's, it's so... I hate Twitter. I love Twitter and I hate it so mm-hmm. much. Because people have so many opinions that I don't care for. Mm. Nor ask for.
1: Yeah, it's like... When I do sex ed, out you know we exist in a little bubble, a sex yes. ed bubble. When I start talking about sex ed on my Twitter, <laughs> then I met with like the people who would actually be in my classrooms, and mm-hmm. I forget mm-hmm. that I exist in a bubble. So I, I, mean, I, feel like this happens to everybody, but I got like I was on my period and I stepped Uh-oh. away from the toilet, um, and whenever that happens to like to like, and I can't describe this. Like you're in a squat. You're wiping okay. yourself. Right. You stop wiping you yourself, do. right? And you still get periods somewhere on the toilet, on the floor, on your leg. So there was a little splat of period blood that fell on the ground. And I was actually in the, like, quote-unquote men's room because mm-hmm. it was just the quick, fastest one that was there. Always. Um, and it's a bathroom, for fuck's sake. Like, who cares? So I went, and then there's somebody walked in. So I kind of just like ran out. <laughs> so I was like, I don't want to deal with nobody. Um, so I ran out. Before, before I ran out, I took a picture of the period blood on the ground. Because I was like, oh, that's sick. That's like kind of dope. Sick as in that's dope. <laughs> um, and I put on Twitter, I was like, left a little present in the men's room as a reminder that any gender can get their period.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it literally somebody... it it went viral conservative news sites wrote about it were like erica erica hart against the white gay cis man i'm like what Mm, (laughs) it um, didn't say cis man it did not say cis man it said white man which i'm like that is a that is an amazing headline um right about buzzwords right buzzwords and it was also like um What did it say? Oh, it was like, we all know that only one gender can get their period. So I don't know why this happened. And everybody was like, well, what about the, um, underpaid janitors that have to clean this up? I'm like. But y'all are not, but y'all are not dealing with the fact that a janitor is underpaid. You're just talking about underpaid janitor, but you're not, you know, using your platform to ensure that people who get, who clean bathrooms get paid more or get paid equitable wages. You're just mad about some period blood on the ground, right? And now what does that tell us about the world that you are that upset about period blood in a public restroom that has piss and everything else all over the floor? And a janitor has to clean the floor anyway. <laughs> like, they're not going to look at the bathroom and be like, oh, looks clean, not going to mop it today. No, they clean it every day. <laughs> so, hopefully. Hopefully, right? But the thing is, is people were so upset about that because Twitter and the internet is all about deflection. Um, mm. It's all about, mm. like, how can I... This to make you look bad because i'm not willing to deal with the fact that that is true that you came into this sacred space called the men's room and disrupted gender
0: (laughs) we're recording this season during the month of april which is also sexual assault awareness month i wanted to do something special for survivors this year and upon speaking with candace one of the co-creators of the kink kit I was really moved by the way that they allow people to connect with different levels of their sexuality i curated every single thing in this kit we really wanted to create a healing experience and i couldn't have asked for a better partnership this box was created to support survivors and their partners to find other ways to connect this box will allow you and your partner to develop mindfulness connection around your sexual partnership creating pleasure positive rituals and loving communication strategies all while having fun. There's a lot of shame around survivors having pleasure. Let's change that narrative today. You can get details on the kit, the games included, and the techniques you'll pick up, and more by visiting thekinkkit.com backslash queen. That's T-H-E K-I-N-K K-I-T dot C-O-M backslash Q-U-E-E-N You're so powerful. (laughs) you were so but powerful. yeah somebody
1: hacked my twitter account and pretended to be me and now i don't have access to my twitter shut up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: i did not know they
1: wrote like a very violent message to someone and then they re- that, that that person reported it because they thought it was i don't know but yeah that's what happened damn yeah it sucks what? so whenever you try to do sex ed outside of this bubble It gets, you know, way more complex where most of us are doing it, but sometimes we're not. Sometimes we just do sex ed within conferences and we are on the Internet and we have our followers and the people that support us. But once you, you know, step into a classroom with people you don't know or online, it just gets a little bit tricky. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Do you um, do you think there's a connection between sex ed and therapy?
1: Uh, What do you mean?
0: like do you I know like when we teach or I've seen you teach and talk like you do a lot of like connective work and like healing work I mm. think there's the connection with that like I was asking like what do you think like there's a process so my background is mental health like, Yeah. that's mom has been doing this for like 11 plus years now and once I got to sex ed it was so easy for me because I'm like oh we're just processing differently
1: yeah like I think what if somebody make the connection, whenever I do, like, right now I'm teaching a human sexuality class and when I, when I do the, the module on gender, I always see a ton of light bulbs go off and mm-hmm. the ways in which that colonized gender has been pushed on us as a mm-hmm. means of capitalism, as a means of control. And people get a lot of freedom in that. Mm where they're like, Mm -hmm. whoa, you know, I didn't realize that I've I've been identifying in this way and it doesn't affirm me and I haven't been listening to myself. Right. So I feel like in those moments, it is very therapeutic. I also think it's very therapeutic to talk about, like just last week, we talked about disability and sex. And I was asking them, you know, when did you realize that if you're able-bodied, when you were able-bodied? You know, how does the world, you know, kind of center itself around you and your able-bodiedness? And they got to really check in with themselves and their own privilege and see where they are just benefiting from the world existing in this way. And they were like, whoa, that's really (laughs) fucked up. You know what I mean? It's like you start seeing like these major light bulbs go off where it's like, I never realized then everything mm-hmm. is created for me and I don't realize it until I see someone who is disabled standing in front of me. And it's like your able-bodiedness cannot be juxtaposed to someone being disabled. Like, it has to be that your able-bodiedness is an identity that you reconcile with, that you mm-hmm. are constantly present to as a privilege. You know? And I, I, I feel like it's therapy, but I'm that kind of, therap- I guess my therapist is similar to me in these ways where my therapist cooks me cooks me in the sense of like she it's not like it's talk therapy but she does not sometimes i be coming for ebony in my sessions and she's like here's the thing though you need to chill out you know what i mean like (laughs) she checks me so in my classrooms it's the same and i don't know if that's that's where i'm caught up in like is it therapy because i really be clocking them <laughs> they get I mean, gathered okay. in my spaces.
0: <laughs> There's no one way that they're That's works. true. <laughs> <laughs> you out here blessing folks. They don't even know.
1: Cause I'm real committed. I'm tired of people being anti-black and I just use sex ed as a vessel for folks to cut that shit out. So I just be gathering them. It is not a space where you could be like, aha, aha. oh wow, that's amazing. And not get that your ass is hella ableist or hella racist. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So you, you brought up this, this black aspect, as we both are. Yes. How is it, I know how it is for me, but for those that don't know. Yeah. How is it being a black sex educator?
1: Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't get this question very often. Yeah. Um, it is, huh. It's challenging. Mm-hmm. And it's challenging because most of the people who have access to sex ed in sex ed spaces are white. Yep. And white people have conditioned to not believe black people and to think that black people are stupid and to think that our only worth is in sports. Um, mm-hmm. And to they absolutely do not believe that black femme presenting people are black femmes have anything of value to say. And that anything that we're saying is actually just supposed to be our pain displayed for them. And that's it. And I have found that because I'm not doing that, that there is a lot of resistance to what I'm saying. Um, I remember one semester I teach at Columbia, uh, which is a predominantly white institution. And I got some feedback from a student that was like, she doesn't dress professionally. (laughs) And that was the only feedback. And it was like, what? Like, I, this is not, first of all, I'm gonna say my class is not a fashion show for you. It is a fashion show for me.
0: (laughs) But I was feeling good. I
1: was feeling, but it's also my resistance to respectability, but inside of resisting respectability, showing up in like, I don't know what they expected me to wear a suit and tie to their class while they wear sweatpants, like, nah. I'm not doing that, but it's also this idea that I'm supposed to present in a particular way. Right? Mm. I'm supposed to show up like that because when I don't, then I am not to be respected. When I spoke at Asex, which is the American Association of Sex Educators and Sex Therapists, I keynoted last year and I keynote in booty shorts intentionally. <laughs> and I walked up to the like the conference um table. And the person that was sitting there checking people in was like, what are you here for? (laughs) And I was like, and I think Ebony, you know, Ebony Gemini, Ebony kind of just like stepped in was like, she's the keynote. (laughs) But it's so wild. It's like, you do, there's so much unchecked shit about blackness that really gets in the way of us being able to show up in our greatness oftentimes. That mm-hmm. oftentimes keeps us out of these spaces because it's so violent, right? It is like another, and if it, and if they are talking about blackness, it's always with the, uh, the word that follows issues or problems. There's not like a conversation around black sexuality that's a celebration of black sexuality and what that looks like and an opportunity for us to explore what that is separate from whiteness. It is always with whiteness present um and uh dr tracy gilbert is somebody who's doing a lot of work in that area has created her dissertation around centering our sexualities and our pleasure not up against whiteness and i find so much joy and of affirmation in her work and i for the first time because so much of it has just been pathologized it's just been, oh, when you go into urban areas and you work with Black people, you might need to use some slang when you talk. It's like, nah, like, what are y'all talking about? <laughs>
0: like, like is, we just speak a whole nother Yeah,
1: language. that's weird. You're being fucking weird. But how people relate to me is, is interesting to the point where I have had to seek out group norms that would protect me as an educator. So group oh norms God. that speak to, hey- I am a black femme and you would affirm this information faster if I was a white cis man. Mm. So here's what
0: you're not going to do. <laughs> I feel like I say that so often. Let me, let me just let you know what's not about to happen.
1: Right. But it happened. I mean, people get, we get overlooked and I'm somebody with, that's been in a lot of publications. I still get overlooked, you know, like the person that there'll be list of sex educators and I won't be on that list. There'll be hella white people. People know my name. People see my name often. They know that I'm a sex educator and they will not put me on there. And that shit is not random. It's intentional. And it's not just me. It's other black sex educators as well. Where we're looking at ourselves like, wait, why didn't you have us on here? Why didn't in
0: a, in an, Or it'll be someone that's like white passing.
1: Yes, or it'll be a white passing Latinx person that's like, oh, they're, they're put on there. They're the person that's allowed to speak. But you, mm. for the whole time, y'all have been like, "Where are the black sex educators?" While we sit and rain right your face, mm. we also will get um, uh, blocked from spaces much faster than white folks do. Um, so mm. I've I've noticed that as well. That there are spaces that I won't even go into because I know that I'm not welcome anymore for some dumb shit that I that it, I did when I was younger. Like I didn't. Um, I don't even know if it was probably, can I call people out or no?
0: You can live your whole best life. Okay,
1: so the National Sex Ed Conference. (laughs) Bill Tavener is somebody who I worked with when I was a baby sex educator. Like, I didn't know. I was just in the beginning of my grad school program. I think I, no, I actually didn't get in yet. And Mm -hmm. I was working on the application and I worked with him on doing, it was like mapping something just uh mapping this curriculum so to find out where the errors are to find out where the gaps are and we did a whole like paper like a poster presentation at the national sex ed conference me and this other person and after i did that we got like lots of praise it was great so on and so forth i went to bell taverner and was like hey can i have you write a recommendation for me to get into grad school and he was like no you actually you know you didn't do that well on the poster presentation you're you were absent a lot in those meetings (laughs) can you believe
0: that you're like i'm sorry what i
1: was like what and i was so baffled even to this day when i first started saying this i said i did some shit in my past i didn't do shit.' but that's what that's what the world will make you feel like will make you feel like you did something so wrong Right. Mm -hmm. When folks like him are blatantly racist and keep and literally gatekeep and keep us out of these spaces so that he could put white passing Latinx people and at the forefront. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And then consider himself doing something. So that is that's I would say in a nutshell, that's (laughs) what it's like being a black sex educator.
0: (laughs) You know, just just like two seconds. Just just like two seconds. Lord. Mm -hmm. And have you found, and I I also know some of the answer to this, but, you know, others may not. Um, Have you had any financial struggles due to choosing sex ed versus any other jobs?
1: Hell yeah. This this is not a high paying gig. Like, I think, I think we have to, and I think a lot, it's not a high paying gig because people don't value sex ed, right? They Mm -hmm. say that they value it, but they don't. It's also not a high paying gig because sex educators under sell themselves.
0: That's why I got Because
1: they, <laughs> Right. Because they have the same shit. Me too. Because <laughs> they have the same shit about sex ed like the world does. Like this is not valuable. But let me tell you, a doctor is not doing nothing under rape. Mm-hmm. So we need to be getting our coin in the same ways. And we need to not take no shit about it. Like the work that we do, like you said, it is very much connected to therapy. It is very much liberating people. So we need to value it in the same ways and get our coin. And a lot of it is like, oh, because it is therapeutic or because it's liberatory or because people should just have access to this, which I get, it should be accessible. But if there's a huge institution that's asking you to do something, they got the money. Get your coin. (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm. i literally just had a rant about this last week Mm -hmm. i've had multiple times people are like you charge for your work why don't you just give people free trauma work i'm like first of all let me tell you about all of my you want to pay some of the school debt Mm because i've actually done the work Mm -hmm. and uh therapy's not free do you pay for that
1: Mm -hmm. there's also the relationship to black to black people's like we should always be working for free i'm tired because white people are sex educators and they're getting paid a lot of money they're getting paid they're getting opportunities lacy green got a lot of money and she don't know what she's talking about (laughs) not at all but no one is questioning how much money she should get paid
0: you know and it's also we do a lot of free stuff like the interviews Mm -hmm. and stuff we do like you do free stuff like i one of the things i do try to do because mama don't have coins I try to make sure I send the people on the guest something because you are doing labor. Mm-hmm. Like you are doing something. So you're going to get a little something, but like it's because oh, I want people to feel appreciated and seen versus just like, thank you so much. We enjoyed you. Goodbye.
1: Right. You have to put your money where your mouth is. When people speak at my classrooms, like I pay them. So many classrooms I've spoken at, people did not pay me. And they'll say, yes. Oh, it was the best lecture. It was the best. Okay. Pay me
0: you know hearing the best does not pay my bills right if i go up if time. i
1: go sh- if i go to buy a dress and i'm like this is the best dress i've ever seen they are not gonna give it to me for free <laughs> so not why is that. my why is my work any different
0: hmm. yeah yeah so we're gonna talk about happy things yes <laughs> happy things all of that was happy i think so <laughs> i mean i think we've blessed the world so what do you love about sex ed
1: Um. What do I love about sex?
0: Or what do you like? Love is a love is a word. You Mm -hmm. could like. Um.
1: I don't. I guess I like it all. I don't Mm. know that there's one thing I don't like per se. I like it all. I like learning new things about. You know who are the people that we're not naming as sex educators because they didn't have letters behind their names. Mm. Who are like. What are the new things that we get to, ex- to kind of uncover and understand? How are we embedding sex ed into our institutions? I like people's reaction when they think I teach people how to have sex. When that's not necessarily what I do, but it's what other people do at sex ed. But it's not what I do. But I like that reaction because I think it's hilarious.
0: Everybody thinks that.
1: Yeah, everybody thinks that. There's not one sex educator that's not doing that. Um... <sighs> Yeah, I like I like it. I like it all. I think, yeah, I don't know that there's one thing that I don't like. I guess I don't really like talking about STIs and STDs too much.
0: Okay. <laughs> it doesn't excite it. me. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think you found any type of healing while teaching sex ed or within sex ed?
1: Yeah, I've had a lot of healing around gender. Uh, and also race for me too because it's so connected
0: Um, Mm
1: -hmm. I think learning about the experiments of J. Marion Sims uh, Lucy and and Betsy, learning about Henrietta Lacks, learning Mm -hmm. about um, Sartee Headbartman, which are all figures inside of the sex ed world, or at least they should be, um, where I, I positioned them there because their bodies were just used as experiments. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I have loved learning about and have gotten so much healing from because we carry that trauma, you know? And I definitely have trauma around my vagina. I have trauma around my uterus and my cervix and my vulva. And that's from trauma that I have personally experienced, but that's also trauma that I have carried from the things, the ways in which this country has related to black femme bodies, black uterus carrying bodies, you know, that, that is what, that's what they just do. It's like second nature. And those are the stories that I presence often. And that's not all the stories. Mm -hmm. So I've, I have gotten a lot of healing from talking about that and storytelling and telling those stories has made such a difference for me.
0: Before we go, before we go one, can you give me like a few tips, maybe like two you don't have to name a whole list. Yeah. But like for like if you could give two tips to someone who wants to get into sex ed and then like a few tips on how to actually survive once you get here.
1: Um, uh, A tip for someone who wants to get into sex ed. Uh, I would take every opportunity that is possible. Um, I would uh, and make sure you're getting paid for them. So the second tip after taking as many opportunities is to negotiate your rate. And your rate should be something that makes you want to vomit. It should never be what's comfortable. So if you're comfortable Oof. with getting paid $100, then charge them $300. Um, yep. That's so true. Yep. So because what will happen is that you will arrive perhaps at $100 rather than them telling you, oh, all we have is 25 when you know damn well that they've had $100 for you. Uh, and sometimes you just get your rate, right? And you're asserting the, your worth in your work um i would figure out what what you want to do i think sometimes sex educators feel like they have to teach and teaching isn't for everybody so do you want to write do you want to do policy work do you what do you do you want to have a blog do you want to just have like a a very informative instagram social media presence what is it that you want to do it doesn't have to happen inside of a classroom um And then I would also just, just say, read like a lot of your values are probably going unchecked. Even as a sex educator that's been doing this for 10 years, I still have values that I have to check and consider and gather and gather myself. So how are you gathering yourself? We do a lot of gathering of other people, but how are you checking in with yourself? Like, oh, that's not cool that I have that thought. And how are you unlearning that? So, yeah, that's what I would say Mm -hmm. or a couple of things i guess other things too is to ensure that your work is not racist fat phobic classist ableist and that Mm -hmm. is people will be like that's really challenging to do but not necessarily if you are centering folks who look like that and who exist in those bodies already
0: i mean that i mean and it's the easiest thing Mm, it's really easy it's not really that hard, it's not. but there's so many excuses. There's so, it's really
1: an excuse at this point. It really is. It really is.
0: <laughs> what I like to tell people, they'd be like, well, what about, I'm like, oh my God, guess what? My Google works like your Google and they're both free. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd be like, oh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh!" I'm so thankful for this conversation for this morning. talk. You know what? I was feeling, real rough this morning and this has definitely lifted my spirits. so I appreciate you um before I let you go can you tell us how to pay you where can we find you what are you working on
1: oh I'm always working on something and you can find it at my Instagram most of the time um which is I -I H-A-R-T-E-R-I-C-K-A I Heart Erica uh you can also find me if you want to pay me that's cute on venmo <laughs> uh at erica e r i c k a - h a r t the c and the k very important in my name people love to forget it um what else uh, my website is the same ihearterica.com you can that's getting updated right now but you'll be able to see all of my events that are coming up and also, I have a podcast as well with my partner Ebony mm-hmm. called. Hood- you don't need
0: to listen to it.
1: <laughs> called.
0: Um, it? Oh, it's kind of cut out.
1: Called hood Rat to head wrap. And sometimes people think that it is a destination. Like you're a hood rat becoming a head wrap. No, it's my partner. <laughs> I, it's self identified as a hood rat, and I wear a lot of head wraps. So that's where the name came from. It's a decolonized podcast. We talk about ending white supremacy and we just, it's for black people. Anybody can listen to it, but it is, it is really a space for black people to be seen and heard. Um, And for us to talk about white people um, and to really come for them without contest.
0: (laughs) I mean, that's beautiful. (laughs) Well, this was, like I said, this has been dope. Thank y'all for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, boo. Of course. So y'all stay tuned for more episodes and for the resources. Our first resource is Erica's podcast, Hood Rat to Head Reps, a decolonized podcast for lovers on the margins. Join our resident sexuality educator, Erica Hart, and Deep East Oakland's very own Ebony Donnelly as they game give, dismantle white supremacy, and kiki in the cosmos, somewhere between radical hood black queer love ethics, pop culture, house houseplants, and a sea of books. Search for Hood Raps to Head Reps wherever you listen to podcasts. Next up, the Bell Hooks Institute. The Bell Hooks Institute can be found at bellhooksinstitute.com. The Bell Hooks Institute celebrates, honors, and documents the life and work of acclaimed intellectual feminist theorist, cultural critic, artist, and writer Bell Hooks. And our third resource is Wokshin, which can be found at WOCSHN.org. Walkshin is stands for the Women of Color Sexual Health Network. They are a collective membership organization with a focus on the sexual and reproductive needs of women and gender expansion through people of color. We encourage colleagues and ourselves to respect our existence, our expertise, and our legacy in the field. And a resource I'm gonna talk about every episode is our sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a platform that connects you with a personal online therapist. They have hundreds of licensed therapists you can connect with within 24 hours. Cognitive therapy has been proven to be the leading most effective treatment for PTSD, anxiety, and childhood trauma. I always, of course, recommend first seeking an in-person therapist, especially in crisis situations. But online therapy is also a fantastic option, especially if you live in an area where you don't have access to a therapist, with the black experience, the queer experience, or they're just downright too pricey. With BetterHelp, you can filter to find exactly what kind of therapist you'd like, and if it doesn't feel right with that person, you can be matched with a brand new counselor within 24 hours. You can video chat, talk on the phone, do in-app messaging, and it's available on desktop or mobile. Go to betterhelp.com backslash queen to find your personal counselor for as low as $35 a week. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com backslash Q-U-E-E-N. Thank you so much for listening. This season has been so special to record. And of course, I have to give a shout out to all the people who made this possible. You can find us all on Instagram. Podcast artwork by Zoe Loves, Z-O-I-E-L-O-V-E-S. Produced by Boy God King, B-O-Y-G-O-D-K-I-N-G. And me, I'm your host, Jimanika. That's J-I-M-A-N-E-K-I-A.